about six months ago or so, or not even that, probably three or four months ago, but still, a while ago, I mapped out this series that we're in on apologetics. And I decided to save one of the most difficult subjects for last because I'm a procrastinator. And I wanted to, to wait to have to tackle one of the hardest subjects to the, the very end after I had dealt with some of the other ones. And so I put the, the question of the existence of a good God and in, in the fact that we live in a fallen and broken world and pain and sorrow and suffering and sin, I put that at the end of our teaching section of the series. And I'll tell you, on Monday night and then part of Tuesday morning, this message that I'm about to preach looked far different than it does tonight. See, I had a message that was nice, neat, clean, sterile. I had a pretty little theological doctrinal bow wrapped up on top of it, tied up to hand out to you to take out and, and put to work apologetically, evangelistically. And it's not that any of the content was wrong or bad or, or incorrect, but it was distant from a subject that now is very much something that is front and center for my life for my wife's life, for the lives of the five other pastors that are on staff, their wives, for so many in our church right now. Because on Tuesday, everything changed. This week we had our pastor's retreat and we went to Brea, this seven of us, and we met to, to talk about, okay, God, what do you have planned for Compass Bible Church over the next year? What is the next year going to look like? And on Monday, we, we got to Brea, we kind of got into our rooms and everything, and then we gathered together and we spent two and a half hours praying together, praying for our church, praying for just God's will to be done, praying for one another. And then we spent the rest of the time on, on Monday together, we, we went around and kind of said, hey, what's your, where do you see yourself in five years? something that we do every year together as a staff, as pastors. And so we walked around and, and, and the, all of us, the seven of us said, this is where I see myself in five years. And then we went to dinner on Monday night, had a great time, came back, and I was rooming with Wes Couch. Had a great time Tuesday night. We got in there, we, we talked a little bit more. He went to bed, I went to bed. We got up in the morning, he beat me up. Not beat me up. He, he beat me out of bed. He could have beaten me up many times over. But he, he beat me awake, right? He, he woke up. He was gone. And I got up shortly thereafter. Got ready and whatever. Walked out. He was coming back in with a cup of coffee. He had gone down and gotten breakfast. And uh, I said, well, hey, we're, a group of us are planning on going down later. You should come back with us. He said, sure. So he and I sat down and, and we opened up the Word and we just read together. And we spent time doing our DBR together. And then after that, we went and had breakfast together. And then after that, we went up to the conference room to, to meet again to continue our, our retreat. And we prayed for another hour and a half together. And we went around and we were praying for the, the distinctives of our church, the eight distinctives. And when Pastor West came up, his was that we believe in a, a biblical 
gospel, that we preach a biblical gospel. In fact, it was this sheet right here that he had. It says, biblical gospel. And he prayed for 20 minutes about the biblical gospel and a desire to see it go forward. And, and we as a staff prayed for about an hour and a half. And then we broke and we got up and he got up and excused himself. And that was the last thing that Pastor Wes ever did on this side of eternity. So when I say everything changed with this concept of a good God and pain and sorrow and suffering, I mean that everything changed. And all of a sudden, as, as a pastor, I was left with the same questions that everybody has. Why? Why, God, would you allow this to happen? Why take him? Why weren't there any signs? Why would you take a guy with a, a wife and two young kids? And I had all of these questions. And it was a time for my theology and my doctrine for the rubber to meet the road. To answer the question personally, okay, what do I do in the face of this question of a good God, a sovereign God, and a fallen and broken world? As believers, when we face these problems, these trials, these questions, the reality is that there is no answer that the world is going to say, oh yeah, that makes sense. And as believers, as Christians, there's really no way for us to say, It makes sense to us. But it's important for us as believers to hold fast to our conviction. And I choose that word carefully. Our conviction that God is good and that he is unshakably sovereign over everything. And so tonight, I want to walk through just three simple realities about God that right now are so important for us to hold on to. The first one is this. We need to confess that God is good. Confess that God is good. I know that God is good because I know that his word has revealed it to me. And I've also experienced his goodness. But let's talk about God's goodness from his word. Psalm 31, 19 says this, Psalm 31, 19. Oh, how abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you and worked for those who take refuge in you in the sight of the children of mankind. Psalm 145, 9. The Lord is good to all. He's good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. Psalm 119, 68. You are good and do good. You are good and do good. Psalm 100, verse 5. We'll come back to this one a little bit later. But for the Lord is good his steadfast love endures forever. Psalm 107, 1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Nahum 1, 7. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. 
Psalm 27, 13, a reality for Pastor West right now. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. God is good. And that word doesn't mean something different in the Bible than it means to you and I. He is good. He is the standard. He is the definition of goodness. The Bible teaches that so clearly. And I've experienced his goodness. I've held my newborn children in my arms five times over. The last time two, one in each one. But when you guys get there, you will say, God, you are good. I spent 15 years with my wife, an amazing woman of God. By the way, this is a picture of us on our first date, very first date. Had not gone out before at all. This is it right here. Her roommates took it. I thought it was weird at the time. And now it's one of, it's, this is my favorite possession. This right here. 15 years with, with my wife and, and I'm blown away by her. God is good. I've experienced his common grace in the small things about this life that bring me joy like nerds candy. God is good because nerds candy tastes good. But think about that. I mean, he he created us to be able to taste something. That's evidence of his goodness, of his love for you. It's not vital to our existence that we be able to taste something or savor something. It's not vital to our existence that we should be able to savor the beauty of a sunset or the crispness of of a cool fall morning. We don't need any of that, but God gives us those things because he is a good God. I've also experienced the joy of serving him in ministry. The fact that I get to do for a living what I get to do, there's nothing I would rather do than this. Nothing. God is good, but most of all, I've experienced the goodness of salvation. That he saved me, that he redeemed me, that he justified me, that he washed me, that he's cleansed me, that he's sanctifying me. Because he is a good God. God is good. We cannot let our circumstances dictate our view of that. We need to go back to and anchor ourselves to what we know to be true. And truth is what again? That which corresponds with reality. And God as the creator of everything is the ultimate definer and standard of reality. And he has told us very clearly and plainly in the book that he has given to us and revealed himself in that he is good. We know it because we read it and we know it because we experience it. But as we confess that God is good, we also can't bury our head in the sands. We also need to acknowledge that this world is broken by sin. This world is broken by sin. You guys know the story of the Garden of Eden, right? God created everything in six days and he finished off by creating man and he created Eve and put them in the garden. He said, you may eat from any tree except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That tree you should not eat from. And the serpent, which was Satan embodying a a snake, came up to Eve and said, has God really said? And he introduced doubt into the mind of Eve. And Eve said, well, 
He said, don't touch it even or we'll die. So Eve was clear. She knew what the prohibition was. And Satan lied and said, well, surely you will not die because God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like him, knowing good and evil. So then it says in the text that Eve, seeing that the fruit was pleasant to the eyes, reached out and took some and ate some and gave some to her husband who was with her. And at that moment, the the world that God had created and stepped back and said, behold, it is very good, was no longer very good. At that moment, sin entered into the world, open rebellion against God. And Paul makes clear for us in Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, that's what I was just talking about, Adam and Eve in the garden. As sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one to come. What Paul is saying there is he's saying, look, even before the law was given, before there was a standard by which the Israelites could say, this is what God wants me to do, this is what God doesn't want me to do, there was still sin, even though there was no law to say that this is sin. And what Paul is saying here is he's saying, death still existed, even though there was no written law to transgress. Why did death still exist? Because that original guilt in Adam had spread to all men. And that's still true of us today. That nobody is is born neutral. But that we are all born with a sin nature that comes from Adam, that is passed down from generation to generation to generation to generation to every single man that has lived, woman that has lived, save Christ. The sin nature that leads us to sin. My, my twins know how to sin very well. And my wife and I, neither of us taught them to sin. Now, they're older siblings. You can make an argument there. But nobody teaches a child to be selfish. Nobody teaches a child to be consumed with their own wants and their own desires. Nobody teaches a child to be angry. It's there. Why is it there? It's there because we live in a world broken by sin. And every person born into this world carries with them the curse of the fall, carries with them the mark of Adam, carries with them a sin nature. And so this world is broken so that Paul could write in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But it's not just us, it's the world in which we live in that groans. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, Romans 8, 19 through 21, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption, And obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So we live in a world in which there are tornadoes and earthquakes and tsunamis and hurricanes and fires and cancer and all of this. Why? Because of the fall, because of the sin, because of mankind rebelling against God. We live in a world that is broken by sin. 
Peter writes in 2 Peter 3, 7 of this world in which we live in right now, the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. There's not an inch of this world that has not been impacted by sin. There's not a person on this planet that has not been impacted by sin and does not carry with them the sin nature of Adam. This world is broken because the word of God teaches that. We believe that because we read of it in God's word and we say, yes, this is truth and truth is what I'm going to believe. But we've also experienced that brokenness. I've grown up in a, a broken home. My parents got divorced. They separated three times before they got divorced. Some of you have been there. You know what that's like. You understand that. I've experienced it because I've, I've sinned against people that I love. So I see the mark of Adam in, in myself. I've experienced the brokenness of this world because I've been sinned against by people that I love. As a pastor, I've sat in my office and counseled many, many people, individuals and couples alike, whose lives have been ravaged by the effects of sin. And this past week, I watched a brother in Christ die with so much potential and so much life left to live. no explanation behind it other than that this world is broken by sin and that desire that we have that says it, it shouldn't be this way is put there by God Ecclesiastes chapter 3 God has put the eternity in the heart of every man And so we long for a world, we long for a place in which this isn't the reality, in which people don't die, in which cancer doesn't happen, earthquakes, tsunamis, hurricanes don't happen, where murders don't happen, where abortion doesn't happen, where rape doesn't happen, where none of that exists. And we have that longing because we've been created for that reality. But the problem is we live here in this reality right now. We can't bury our heads in the sand and say, well, it's, it's, it's all fine. It's not fine. This world is broken by sin. But there's a third thing that we need to acknowledge together tonight. God is good. This world is broken by sin. Finally, God is sovereign. Believe that God is sovereign. Again, I know this because his word reveals it and because I have experienced his hand in my life. Grab your Bibles and open them up to Psalm 139.
Psalm 139, a psalm of David. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know, notice the present tense in verse 2. You know, right now, God, you know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down, and you are acquainted with all of my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in, you encircle me behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. You cup it over me. You lay hold of me. I can't get away is what he's saying. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain to it. Verse 7, where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Even if we flee from God, he is leading us, protecting us, caring for us. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For, here's why, you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret. Intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance in your book. And your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. God is sovereign. We say that, we hear that, we think about, okay, well, he's sovereign over the nations. He's sovereign over the kingdoms. He's sovereign over who's present, who's not present. He's sovereign over the timing of when Christ is going to come back. He's sovereign because he created. He's sovereign in, in sermons. But Psalm 139 brings us face to face with the reality that God is sovereign over your life. In the exact number of days that you will spend here. It's set in stone already. You know in your book, he says, were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. I think of Jesus who says, who of you by being anxious can add a single hour to your lifespan? Why does he say that? Because our lifespans are already set in stone. In some ways, there was no more ministry potential for Pastor West because Pastor West fulfilled exactly the ministry potential that God wanted him to fulfill. He lived out the days that were written in the book for him. God was done. West was done. And so God brought him home. 
Sovereignty is not a distant theological concept. It's an intimate, personal concept. God created you. He knits you together within the womb of your mother. Formed your inward parts. In your book were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. We read that. Another passage that I'd like you to open up to. Romans chapter 8. Romans 8. Romans 8, 28 is one of the most abused verses that's in the entirety of Scripture. You probably know it. If not, you've, you've probably at least heard the sentiment. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. See, we like to stop that For those who love God, all things work together for good. Period, end of story. Stop writing Paul. Stop it, because now I can define good however I want to define good. But verse 28 doesn't stop there. Romans 8 doesn't stop there. Paul's thought didn't stop there. The Holy Spirit didn't stop there. He kept going. He said, for those who are called, what? According to his purpose, which should make all of us say, okay, God, so then what is your purpose? Verse 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined or he purposed. And if you get hung up on that word, let me just encourage you tonight to get over it. It's in the word of God. It's a biblical word. God purposed from eternity past something for you. And here's what it is. Romans eight twenty nine. He predestined you to be conformed to the image of Christ. So Romans 8, 28, God is sovereign. That's what we're talking about here. God is sovereign. Psalm 139, he's sovereign over your life individually, over all of the days of your life. What is he doing throughout every single day that he has written down in his book in your life? He is working on you. He is conforming you. He is shaping you. He is molding you. He's chiseling off the sin and the ugliness and the the rough spots in your life to conform you more to the image of Christ. And sometimes that hurts, and sometimes that sucks. And you just, you want to be angry. But you cannot let your emotion and your fear take over. You've got to come back to the truth of God's word, which says that he is sovereign over your life. And he's doing this in the midst of the valley when it hurts. When it, we sang it earlier. He's working for your good. Do you believe that? It's one thing to sing it. It's another thing to, to believe that, to hold to that when it hurts. When you don't get it, when you don't understand, when you can't see your way out of the valley. To hold on to a verse like Romans 8.28 in the way that it was intended to be held on to and to say, God, you are working for my good because you are conforming me to the image of Christ. And when it hurts, we, should, we would do well to say, God, come back sooner. Because here's the glorious reality. Pastor Wes is in 
the perfect image of Christ now. Fully conformed. There's no more work left to be done on him. He is in the presence of God. He is awaiting his glorified body. He is there. He's away from sickness and sorrow. His word says it. We've experienced it. Out of the pain of my parents' divorce, God saved me. I've seen him lead my family through trials, orchestrate events in my life in a remarkably way, a remarkable way that, that is impossible aside from him. The way that he led my family here, he led us through a, a pretty rough spot in Arizona for a while that we had no way of seeing what he was doing in that, but he was working all things to, to, to bring us even here. And I don't want to steal her thunder because she's going to speak at the funeral, but I've seen it through Pastor Wes's widow, Laura, too. I'll just put it at that. Her faith in God is unshaken right now. Her trust in his sovereignty is fully intact. And it's amazing. God is sovereign. This world is broken. And he is good. Those three things seem like they wouldn't be compatible, but they are compatible. And we have to be okay with that. We have to allow them to exist in this tension because we have to, to agree with what the writers of Scripture say when they say that his wisdom is above and beyond ours. Isaiah forty twenty eight. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. God's understanding is unsearchable. Isaiah 28, 9. This also comes from the Lord of hosts. He is wonderful in counsel, excellent in wisdom. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, it's a familiar one. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And just in case you were wondering if the New Testament writers got in on this subject, Paul in Romans eleven thirty three 33 through 34. Romans eleven thirty three 33 through 34. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Again, these are the truths that I know. He's good. This world is broken and he's totally sovereign over that. And guys, here's the reality. These are the truths that an unbeliever can't accept. There's no logic, there's no reason, there's no argument that's going to get an unbeliever to come to that conclusion to say, okay, yes, I, I, I understand how you can be unwavered in your faith in the midst of a tragedy. And that's why I threw out the, the logical arguments on theodicy and the existence. I had books on my death, and the books are helpful, don't get me wrong, but... Not in this moment. In this moment, it's about you and it's about me. 
If you're wondering, well, what do I do if, uh, if a friend of mine says, well, I can't believe in a good God because of this. Let me go back to what I said earlier. The fact that they recognize that there's something wrong with a 34-year-old dying suddenly points to the fact that they long for a reality where that's not, that's not real, that that doesn't happen. We don't have the answer to why it happened, but we have the answer to what they want, what they desire, what they're crying for internally. The most ardent atheist longs for a reality in which death doesn't happen, longs for a reality in which there is no cancer, there's no more disease. And what they've done is they've diverted their, their uncomfort, their level of discomfort, and they've become angry at God. When re- really what we have, and, and this is the call to action for you, is to go out with the hope of the gospel. You don't have the answer, why did this happen to me? Why did this happen to my mom? Why did this happen to this person? We don't have that answer. We're not God. His ways are higher than our ways. But we have the answer to the hope that they can one day experience a reality where there is no more of that. And so go for that. And get to the gospel. In many ways, as I was preparing this, I didn't realize this, but our whole series on apologetics has been preparing us for tonight. I thought it was a series about preparing you to go out and make disciples, and and I hope it is doing that. I hope it's equipping you, and and you're able to feel more confident about sharing your faith with others. I hope this has been a good series on that front, but this has been a series to prepare us as a, as a family to come to tonight and to say, okay, God, you exist. You are the definer of truth. Your word is reliable. I mean, think about God. We've been talking about his sovereignty. Think about his sovereignty over the last semester that we've gone through all of these big things so that I can stand up here tonight and tell you and not have to defend the fact that the Bible is reliable. We've already done all that. I can just tell you the Bible says that God is good. The Bible says that the world is broken. The Bible says that God is sovereign. And you guys can say, yes, all right, I track with that, I get that, I understand that, because God was gracious to lead us to this place. So what do we do? What's the call to action out of this? Again in Romans 8. Pick up again in verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption, fallen world, we've talked about that, to obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So what do we do? Number one, you groan under the weight of the fallen world in which we live. That is good and right for us to do. Christianity is not put a slap happy smile on your face and act like everything's okay. It's not okay. Groan under the weight. Groan at death. Groan at at sickness. Groan at sin. Groan 
over the, the brokenness of this world, but balance that with a hope in the future that we wait for eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. That day when Revelation 21, we will be in the presence of God and he will wipe away every tear and there will be no more sickness or sorrow or disease or heartache or death. And Paul says we wait for it now with patience and that's the hard thing. Habakkuk, chapter 3, 17 through 19. Habakkuk. Habakkuk's a book, it's, a, it's an amazing book. Habakkuk begins at the beginning of the book and, and he's seeing all the sin in Israel and he cries out to God and he says, God, why don't you do something about this sin? And God says, okay, I'm going to do something. I'm going to bring Babylon. And Babylon's going to come and it's, it's going to wipe out the city and it's going to lay siege to the city and it's going to carry away captives and, and Israel will be in, in exile. And, and Habakkuk protests and said, God, you can't do that. You're holier than that. And, and God effectively puts Habakkuk in his seat. Habakkuk then responds and he says this at the very end of the book. He says, though, verse 17 of chapter 3, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines. The produce of the olive fail. The fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold. There be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord, my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me to tread on high places. And so Habakkuk would tell us that we rejoice still. That we trust still. And then Psalm 100, 3 through 5. Psalm 100, 3 through 5. Know, know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us, we are His. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. His faithfulness to all generations. Our response, we praise God. We worship God. We give thanks to God. God is sovereign. This world is broken. God is good. There's so much more, but those are three things that, that I needed to come to terms with this week. Just to, to, to pull the veil back on my own heart. Those are th things that I needed to remind myself of this week. Not that I walked away from the faith or anything even remotely close to that. But there are times that we need to come back to these basic truths. And when we suffer and when we feel sorrow, th th those are, are times like that. But as we conclude, as we close, before we break up into small groups, can I start to preach to you for a second? 2 Corinthians 5.20. You know 5.21. Therefore he made him who knew no sin to be sin so that we might become the righteousness of God, right? The verse right before that, 2 Corinthians 5.20, it says this. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. What is an ambassador? What does an ambassador do? It's somebody who's sent with a message, right? 
If you're going to be an ambassador for someone, you're carrying a message to another person. Paul here says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. And then he says this, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We implore you. Is the word implore a a passive verb? Is that a a passive word? No. It's not. It's a a passionate, it's it's an emotional word. It's a pleading. Be reconciled to God. And so the first thing I want to do tonight is say this. If you are not here tonight as a believer in Christ and you can't say tonight that you are saved, do not leave here without making that decision if you feel prompted by the Spirit to commit to Christ. Because the reality is, you could drop dead any second. I used to say, go walk through the graveyards. Guys, I've seen death in, in person this week the way I've never seen it before. And I'm not going to let that go. You need to deal with Christ. Stop flirting with Christianity. If you're here and you're, you've grown up in the church and you've been around the church your whole life and mom and dad are Christians and you're still harboring this life of sin over here that you have not confessed, you have not repented of, you've not let go of, tonight is the night to be done with it. Your days are written in a book. There's not going to be another one added. There's no bonus time. There's no extra credit. And you don't know those days. Psalm 90, teach us to number our days. And if if you're here and you're thinking, man, I'm good because I've grown up in the church and mom and dad are Christians, you may be Matthew 7, the people that cry out when you die, Lord, Lord, didn't we do X, Y, and Z? Didn't we show up at third night? Didn't we participate in a small group? Didn't we do our DVR? Didn't we matriculate all the way through Awana? Didn't we, whatever. And he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. Make sure he knows you tonight. Secondly, if you're a believer... What are you doing with your life right now? Honestly, what are you doing with your life right now? Think about your free time. Pastor West was praying about the gospel and then stood in the presence of God. I hope I go out even close to that. None of you in this room are better than he was. None of you in this room are more physically fit than he was. He's a former Marine, former SWAT officer. The guy was doing well for himself in that arena. He's not a guy who's 80, 90, 100 years old. He was 34 years old. That's my age. Exactly. Don't bank on tomorrow and please don't waste your life right now. Get after it. Before you do anything, think anything, listen to anything, watch anything, ask yourself, what if I drop dead right now? 
What would the testimony be? What would the legacy be? That sounds cliche, but guys, it's not a cliche anymore. Go out and be as ambassadors too. If you have people in your life you need to talk to about a relationship with Christ, do it tonight because it, it, or, or this week, but do it. Because if you're not gonna go now, they might go. Guys, I know it's heavy, but honestly, I, if, if I didn't care about you, I wouldn't press in like this. In a lot of ways, the fig tree is not blossoming right now. There's no fruit on the vines. The produce of the olive has failed. The fields have yielded no food. The flock is cut off from the fold. There's no herd in the stars, stalls. And yet I want us to trust in those three things that we looked at tonight. That God is good. That this world is broken. And yet God is completely sovereign. Let's pray together and then we'll break up into small groups. Father God, we need you right now. Our church needs you right now. God, Laurie and Wesley Jr. and Faith need you right now so much, God. Lord, you tell us in 2 Corinthians that you are the God of all comfort who comforts people in their affliction. God, we pray that you would comfort the, the couches right now. Lord, thank you for their faith, for, for Laurie's faith, for her testimony, for her strength right now, God. But yet, I know there are times where she's not strong where she needs to, to be able to have somebody hold her up and support her and love her and care for her. Lord, may we be that as a church. God, I pray for our, our group here, gathered here tonight, each one brought here by you for a specific reason tonight. God, may we not run from this thought of mortality, this thought that there will come a day for all of us that is our last day, the last day written in the book that you have for us. God, let us not run from that, but let us think about that. Let us wrestle with that. Let us walk out of here tonight confident, God, and be able to say to our loved ones, look, if, if I go, I know where I'm going and I'm going to be okay. In the meantime, God, help us to hold on to these truths that you are good, that, that this world is broken and that you are totally sovereign over it. And while we don't always understand the way that works, God, and, and, and we shouldn't understand the way that works, you are infinitely wise. We are finite and created. But God, while we don't always understand that, I pray that we would be willing to hold our conviction, to hold our resolve, to hold our belief in those things. Lord, we thank you for Pastor West. We thank you for his legacy. We thank you for the life he lived. We thank you for the impact that he made. Most of all, God, I thank you that he is with you right now in your presence experiencing a reality that all of us long to one day experience as well. In the meantime, God, let us be found faithful to you. In Christ's name, amen.